Hey everybody, we're the Menschwarmers, your bi-weekly look at the world of Jews and sports. I'm here with my co-host Gabe. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing amazing. Uh, it's nice to be talking to you on our new audio platform. Um, I'm looking at the face, the beautiful face of our producer, Michael, who looks unimpressed with my immediate uh, reflection of this, but I think it's very exciting uh, to be on here. It's, it's, it's it's a probably have no meaning. It'll probably have no meaning for our listeners, uh, presumably, who will be getting the same audio product they typically get. Uh, but it Maybe is a little different for us. And yeah, exciting. Uh, Gabe, I saw you I saw you just this last Sunday. Uh, not not Jewish sports news, but Canadian sports news. We went to the uh, Canada men's team soccer match versus Jamaica, where they won and qualified yeah. for the World Cup. It was, that was exciting. It was very cold. Uh, but yep. it was extremely exciting and a, and a lot of fun to be there. It's it was I think it was my first live sports event. I guess there was a Raptors game somewhere in like the mid lockdown era, but yeah. it was my first like real full big deal sports event in two and a half years. Was it the same for you or yeah, pretty, over pretty, two pretty, years? Uh, yeah, a few Jays games last year, the Raptors game, um, but pretty much yeah, the first big one in the last since since pre COVID. And uh, you know I think we will definitely have some soccer content uh, or football. If you're uh-huh. listening abroad, um, content coming up ball. this yeah this uh, fall when the World Cup inexplicably takes place in November in Qatar um, instead of you know <laughs> anywhere else in the world in the in the summer like it's supposed to be. Um, but you know there's some Jewish football content. If anyone knows of any Jews who are participating in the World Cup for any of the teams that end up qualifying, let us know. Uh, we're always interested. Uh, absolutely, in that. I know. I know the previous. You know the the leader of FIFA tends to tends to sort of be the type of Jewish person that we're not so proud to claim. Um, you know, you think of the the extremely corrupt Sepp Blatter, who was uh, he's Swiss. He was the president of FIFA. He was indicted for corruption many many times, um, and and not not really the right kind of person you want to be like, oh, yes, you know, a happy Jewish guy, somebody somebody we were proud to share, a bit of a, a you know, a, a old greedy pervert. But he wasn't Jewish. He wasn't? I thought he was. Seth Blatter? Absolutely not. Joseph Blatter? Absolutely not. Oh, well, he has been banned from FIFA for another 13 years. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good long explanation of how Seth Blatter is a bad guy, but definitely not Jewish. Um, I know that uh, um, the coach of the Venezuelan team, Jose Peckerman, is an Argentine uh, former football player. He is Jewish, but I believe Venezuela is not going to be making it to this uh, this iteration of the World Cup. He he oh, had coached Colombia when they when they had a good run, I think in in 2014. I, I saw I, I you know I found a couple of Jewish stories. Um, one of them. Uh, uh, that, you know, in, in this World Cup one, you know, the, as we've talked about before, the classic sportscaster, soccer sportscaster, Andres Cantor, famous for the goal. He's Jewish. Um, yes. Argentinian Jew uh, sportscaster. Um, as well, uh, you know, in this round of qualifying, the third leading scorer in the world uh, was from Israel. Uh, Israel did not qualify Uh for the World Cup, but the third leading scorer of this qualification cycle is Israeli uh, player who plays in uh, Holland named Eran Zahavi, um, mm. which sort of sounds like a made-up name. It's so Israeli. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's uh, save the soccer chat until uh, you know we get a little closer to the World Cup. Um, let's talk about some other things that have been going on in the world of uh, Jews and sports over the last few weeks. One thing that I wanted to mention was the uh, victory 
by Taylor Fritz, American tennis player Taylor Fritz over Rafael Nadal at the Indian Wells uh, Masters, the tennis tournament out in California, um, out in Palm Springs, I think, right? Um, he ended Nadal's, Nadal had been like perfect all year, basically. He hadn't, he hadn't lost. And Taylor Fritz beat him in the finals, 6-3, 7-6. Um, pretty That's impressive fantastic. stuff from the young American. Uh, not something okay. we've talked about a lot. I don't know exactly what his uh, identity or background is. I know that he has Jewish heritage. Uh, the uh, the the writer who's written about um, the, the great Jewish tennis stars has, has profiled him before. And his great-great-grandfather uh, uh, was the founder of the May Company, which was a department store. Uh, that was well known, I think, in, in, in the Shimada business. Saint, Saint, yeah, in the, in the St. Louis and sort of Midwest era. Um, so definitely, he has some Jewish background. I don't know how he identifies, and uh, something we should probably track down in the future. But you know, interesting to see that he won. Uh, congratulations to him. One other uh, uh, connection is he at one point was coached by Jay Berger, who was Jewish, um, right. and his uh, Jay Berger's son Daniel Berger is a current PGA Tour player um, who we've spoken to before, uh, who was. Be quite Jewish. Um, so that's, you know, winning that tournament, the first thousand level uh, tournament for, for uh, Taylor Fritz. For, yeah. for Taylor Fritz Definitely is a big, a, win a very big deal. Yeah. Um, so now, uh, you know, he's between him and Riley Apelka. We have a bunch of maybe Jewish American men. Yeah. Um, we should mention that we do have a, a great interview coming up with uh, wrestling writer and podcaster, David Bixenspan. Um, this was a podcast that we, we taped a few, a few weeks ago, but unfortunately I had to, had to put it in the can cause we had, uh, other content that we needed to run. But, uh, we talked to him about, uh, sort of anti-Semitism scandal in the wrestling world, not neither the first nor the last anti-Semitism scandal in the wrestling world. And it was really interesting to get his perspective on that. Um, Gabe, I think WrestleMania is coming up this weekend. Is that WrestleMania correct? is this week. It is WrestleMania week, the biggest event in wrestling. You know, the, the main event is sort of in the storyline of wrestling been, I, I don't necessarily want to say like sculpted, but sort of machined by, you know, the character of Paul Heyman, whose character is that he is sort of a lawyerly Jew. Um, right. He is proudly Jewish. He's the child of Holocaust survivors. Um, you know, he is, is outspoken about the importance of Judaism to him. Um, and, you know, his character of the manager of both Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, they'll come fighting together. But... You know, we're, we saved this interview for WrestleMania week to sort of keep it as a WrestleMania-themed show. Um, just to let you know, we recorded this uh, for our listeners maybe about a month ago, um, sort of hot off the presses, uh, an AEW wrestler named Brian Kendrick. If you remember, there was some old Holocaust denial videos put up, um, found about him, um, and he apologized, but he was, you know, he lost his job pretty quickly, and we used that as an opportunity to springboard into a conversation with David, um, a very accomplished and uh, uh uh, knowledgeable wrestling writer. Um, you can find his podcast. Uh, he, he's worked on Dark Side of the Ring. He's worked for Defector and the former Deadspin. Um, and so there's a lot, a lot to talk about. Sort of the history of uh, the re- wrestling business, both, uh, I guess, all exploiting, um, sharing, and or, or involving, and uh, sort of ignoring Jewish people. One of the things we talk about is sort of the, there's a lot of Nazi iconography that has been throughout wrestling for a long time, and, right. and that comes up in the interview as well. So it's a great interview, timely running during WrestleMania week. Um, yeah, so what is the, what is the main, main event for WrestleMania? What's the main card? This year? Uh, yeah. This year, sort of the main event of WrestleMania is uh, Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar, two people who are, with your Jewish connection, managed by Paul Heyman. Um, I see. So he's the manager of both? He's the manager of... That's how, that's how Jewish Heyman is. 
You know, it's right. Paul Heyman. That's his name. Um, and, and, you know, he also previously managed Goldberg. He previously managed all sorts of wrestlers. The Undertaker, um, he's, he's sort of been a, a character and a writer and an organizer of the WWE for a very long time. So that's sort right. of the big main event. Um, one, one other thing I, I want to talk about that, that's coming up in the news, sort of two different angles on this. Um, we talked last time extensively with uh, our guest David Goss about Roman Abramovich, the owner of Chelsea and the Russian billionaire. And uh, two news stories about him this week. The first is that um, he alleges, or at least there's comments, that he was poisoned. Um, unclear and, by and whom. Several other uh, Ukrainian negotiators, just for a little context. Abramovich, as we mentioned last week, you know, in addition to selling, being forced to sell Chelsea, is part of the sort of bilateral Russian, negotiation yeah, squad. Russian peace process. So unclear mm-hmm. by whom he is supposed to have been poisoned. Um, possibly Russian hardliners who want to sabotage the talks. Possibly, I think there's allegations that it was the Ukrainians. Possibly he's just making the whole thing up. Um, he has apparently recovered. It was a, a mild case of poisoning. It was a mild poisoning? So, yeah, so details are, are very, uh, I would say, sketchy at this moment, but an interesting story, an interesting further development. And the other one, that's uh, very I think, because the Russian oligarchs are known, well known for their transparency and honesty. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Just a fitting uh, case of, of, you know, uh, anonymous poisoning, so to speak, that uh, has no evidence and we have no idea of the source or cause <laughs> or duration. But, you know... It's it's a weird world where uh, this otherwise very powerful man can just be poisoned. Like him, him being poisoned is a news of the day. Um, it is. And, the mean, other... and, and I think Russia is notable for its poisonings. Like they've, they've yeah. poisoned plenty of Putin critics and Abramovich has sort of come out, you know, I would say semi-publicly on the Ukrainian side of this debate. Um, yeah. You know, he's it's, he's it's pledged exactly on... a lot of money to the Ukrainian government. Um, yeah, it's hard to get a read on how that affects his standing within the within the oligarchy uh, class. You know, I really don't know enough. But uh, yeah, an interesting story to keep keep tabs on, I guess, and and see his continuing role within the uh, the Ukraine the Ukraine the war peace process. Invasion. Yeah, and the other thing that that came out that's worth noting, uh, and if we could break it down here for a little Tannenbaum chat, um, hey. is that. One of the one of the groups that uh, is interested in buying Chelsea is Larry Tannenbaum, uh, the longtime Toronto resident owner or partial owner of the Toronto Raptors, Toronto Toronto Maple Leafs, and, and uh, MLSC as a whole. It's uh, might be might be one of the people involved in buying Chelsea. It's so amazing how you see you know these titans of industry, oligarchs who buy soccer teams, still involved in the political machinations of their adopted or you know ancestral homeland. Like we bring up Larry Tannenbaum, you know, looking to buy Chelsea. Like, it would seem absolutely bonkers, just fully, fully, totally unbelievable if, like, you heard tomorrow, Larry Tannenbaum is on a plane to Jerusalem to negotiate with Mahmoud Abbas on the Israeli-Palestinian peace process. Like, yeah, they, they've I, I, I Larry Tannenbaum. Um, but it is a little different. I mean, we do have, on the other hand. Yeah, well, we do have a, a you know a political sphere that's separate from the business sphere in this country uh, and most Western democracies, unlike in Russia. So I agree, it is odd to see a sports owner doing that. I can't really think of there of there being an equivalent of like a sports owner who also has like political power. I guess ex- with the exception of like uh, who, what's that guy's name, Woody Johnson, uh, who's yeah. buddies with Trump, who got appointed you know, ambassador to uh, something. If we're going back to Judaism, I think. Steve Ballmer could probably be probably has the ear of like anybody on earth that he would want to call. Right. Like yeah, Steve like he's Ballmer a wants to guy. Call, when he was, he's, certainly when he was CEO of Microsoft. 
Right. He was in charge of the biggest company in the world for 20 years. And, yeah. you know, then he decided to buy a basketball team. Like, I think he, and he gives a ton of money, like a ton of money to the UJA and to, you know, the ultimately to the Tzahal through the Jewish National Fund. Right. But, um, but it seems like once you once you buy the basketball team, you stop having involvement in the day-to-day of, you know, the giant business that you ran. Like, obviously, there's guys who still have a finger in, in, in multiple pies, but, you know, no one is both the CEO of Microsoft and a team owner. You have to give up one right. to do the latter. You, you know? have to give up one. Like, yeah, because, I, could, yeah. I, could, I could actually maybe see Ballmer being part of the peace process because he's, he's very intense. <laughs> he's sweaty. He can get down in the in the ditches, and, and he's no, known for his very motiv- motivational speeches. Maybe. So, uh, Steve Ballmer, if you don't have enough on your plate, uh, owning the LA Clippers and just being a really rich guy, uh, you know, feel free to get involved in, in any peace process that might have you. Yeah, I, I think I think Yair Lapid would take his call. Or, or Neftali Bennett, just because they look so much alike. <laughs> So, uh, Gabe, one more thing I want to get to before we got to our interview with uh, David Bixenspan is that uh, we are currently running our tournament, our Mensch Madness tournament, to it's determine who the, Madness, who, the, who the greatest Jewish athlete of all time is. The Gadya, as we're calling it. The Jewish goat. So, so what does um, Gadya stand for? D- explain the term for us, Dave, <laughs> um, uh, uh, James. So, Gadya is the greatest all-time diaspora Yiddish athlete. Uh, it's a bit of a <laughs> contrived initialism. Uh, it is something we, we did so that, you know, a Jewish goat, that's the, that's the idea. Um, and we're holding a tournament. We have 16 candidates and, uh, Mike, can you pull up the, the Gadja voting on the, on the screen? We're, we're two days into voting right now and, uh, in the first round and, and things are, you know, starting to shake out. I would say that there are, I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to, um, you know, mess with any of the vote, voting or anything like that or bias it in any way. I would say that the closest matchups right now are between Dolph Shays and Sid Luckman. Uh, that's, that's one matchup that's very close. Hang and on. The other matchup that's really close audience. is Barney Ross and Bill Goldberg. For our audience, for our audience, just while we discuss this, please follow along with what you're about to hear uh, through your headphones. Uh, you could find it at the cjn.ca slash gudya, where you can vote gudya, that's G-A-D-Y-A, where you could vote for any of these uh, battles and then future rounds. We'll continue putting that link on Twitter and the CJN newsletter uh, on you know the CJN circle. You get plenty of access to debates and, on, and content like this. Um, but we'll continue to, to push this link for a while. Um, there are a lot of great debates going on. There's also a little bit of an explanation on every one of the articles, and we'll continue to, to follow this debate. But it's it's going to be a quite a big quite a big battle, James. As as you've seen this go on so far, who's your greatest of all time Jewish athlete of the sixteen we have selected here? Who do you think is going to win? Who, who, okay, so who I think is the greatest and who I think is going to is gonna win are different answers. Um, the feedback I'm getting... Wonderful listeners. Although I would say, so I think the obvious answer and the feedback I'm getting on, on, you know, there can be no doubt, is that it's Sandy Koufax. And I get it. You know, we've talked about Koufax a ton. He definitely, you know, is among the greatest pitchers of all time. He excelled in his sport. Um, but I have seen some really good counter, counter arguments about the idea of athleticism. Incorporating more than just sort of one skill, uh, which you know Koufax had, which was pitching a pitching a ball exceptionally well, and uh, you know people have made the case for someone like Hank Greenberg uh, or Sid Luckman, who dominated in their time, um, and you know was an overall athlete. I, I I've made the case, and I, I think this is a, a good case to make that you know Mark, Mark Spitz and Dara Torres. 
both swimmers, have a really good shot to be called the greatest athlete because swimming is a sort of your entire body um, expression of athleticism that I think, you know, maybe that's maybe that should be a factor in how you vote. And, the, and they've done it across a bunch of different disciplines, right? You know, Mark Spitz, who is currently the overall leading vote getter in every bat- battle we have now. Sandy Koufax is actually in second. Right. Mark Spitz won a gold medal in seven different disciplines. So that would mean if you were to make this analogy to baseball, if you're swimming to pitching, Sandy Koufax would have the best fastball, the best curveball, the best screwball, the best changeup. He'd have seven pitches that he would all throw better than every single other person. Yeah, and I think this is a good experiment because he'd play seven different baseball positions. That's true. I, I think this is a good experiment because it does give people the opportunity to um, to vote based on their own understanding and explanation of what it means to be an athlete. Uh, so really interesting to see how it goes. And uh, voting for this round, I believe, is up until April 3rd. Um, we're sort of timing it to sort of uh, wrap up around around the end of Passover. And uh, there's going to be, you know, we, we might do some reseeding after the rounds just to make sure that we have the best uh, matchups available for each round. Um, you know, go out and give it a vote. Hundreds of people have already voted. Make your voice heard. Vote for your favorites. Read about the, some of these great athletes. Some, some of you might not even know that much about because they're, they're people from back in the past. And, uh, you know, vote now. Again, it's the CJN dot ca slash gadja that's g-a-d-y-a uh we should have a link in the show pages and uh available on cjn and elsewhere one thing one thing we're very excited to bring to you as part of this um is that you know as we're doing it through passover mensch madness uh at each and every one of your satyrs when it comes time to <laughs> sing the song chad gadja that is a perfect time that we're suggesting for you to bring up this conversation. You know that the goat is worth the gadya is worth Tuzuzim in the story, in the song, in the Seder. But what exactly, who is the gadya, the greatest all-time diaspora Yiddish athlete? It's the perfect time to have this debate amongst your friends and family. To That's extend right. that Seder into its third, fourth, fifth hour, if you wish. To continue debating this Sue Bird versus Mark Spitz versus Dara Torres versus Amy Alcott. Just just let it rip late into the evening. On your third, fourth cup of wine, that's when you really get into the good cheese. Yeah, if, there, if there's one thing we know about Jews, it's that uh, they can really settle in for a good debate, especially on something they, they don't necessarily know everything about. So oh, yeah. please feel free to bring this up at your Seder. Have you, uh, you know, Seder have, have the conversation. Have you ever had a Seder that doesn't involve an argument? <laughs> like I don't, think, I don't think it's a true Seder if it, if it, if it doesn't have a, at least an argument or two. Exactly. The shank bone is really this. You know, there's always a lot of like debate over what which the tears. Is it the, the bitter herbs or is it the salt water or is it the maror? They're all bitter. They're all supposed to be bitter. Sure. Anyways, let's leave it there for now and go to our interview with David Bixenspan. Uh, we're joined today by David Bixenspan. David, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit about uh, who you are, how you got into wrestling, uh, writing about wrestling? I guess I would be best known for my Deadspin stuff, right? Um, for the last two and a half years before the implosion, mutiny, walkout, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, we should we should say original original flavor Deadspin. Yes, I, I was writing, depending on the time, either once to twice a week for them about uh, various wrestling stuff. I mean, you know, it was like a mix of like analysis and history and opinion, but also did a good bit of original reporting as well. So David, uh, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on was uh, to talk about the Brian Kendrick uh, story that's come out the last few days. Can you, can you tell us a little bit what about it, that? 
Would it be the Brian Kendrick story or the the Brian Kendrick story? Well, it'd be the the Brian Kendrick story. The the Brian Kendrick story, of course. Yes. Um, okay. So Brian Kendrick is a wrestler who's been wrestling since I guess 1999, who was trained by Shawn Michaels. You know, Brian Kendrick, originally known as Spanky. He had been with WWE for the last eh, five and a half years or so. And, you know, first as a wrestler and then working as a trainer and, uh, you know, wrestling match producer behind the scenes and stuff. And he had gotten his release recently. The timeline on that is still a little unclear. And then, you know, Tuesday night, the first, AEW announces that he's going to be wrestling a match on their show on Wednesday as part of a storyline they're doing with Brian Danielson because they broke into wrestling together and have been friends for many years. Um, so late Tuesday night, I start seeing on Twitter people looking at some old stuff, interviews and stuff where he talked about conspiracy theories. Now, it was well known that he was into conspiracy theories to some degree. He and his old tag team partner, Paul London, had done some interview DVDs where they talked about stuff, but it was, you know, benign, you know, moon landing, Bigfoot, whatever, you know, type of stuff while they were stoned. So it was nothing that anyone found really particularly alarming or anything, at least the stuff that people knew about. And then, um, trying to remember, I don't, I don't remember who surfaced this originally, but they found an interview he had done. It was for a DVD to be sold to wrestling fans, but it was just supposed to be about his conspiracy theory stuff from 2013. And like the trailer that was on YouTube seemed a little questionable. And then people dug up a review from when it came out and included him saying that Sandy Hook didn't really happen and that the Holocaust death toll was exaggerated from what he believed was the actual 250,000 and that the gas chambers were actually dehousing chamber. Right. And uh, after that, it sounds like he was he was dropped from the AEW bill. Well, no, there's more. Don't forget. Okay. <laughs> uh, it was, oh, what was the name of the guy? Was it um, something Pierce or Dan Pierce? I, if I'm getting his name wrong, I apologize. Um, but I, it's not like a I wasn't preparing a story or anything, so I didn't take notes on this. He found a clip of Kendrick on a YouTube channel, conspiracy theory channel called Truth is Scary from 2011, where the host ends up asking him about reptilians. And in the process of talking about reptilians, he mentions, of course, the Roth, he being Kendrick, mentions the Rothschilds, uh, Zionists, and Jewish medics who went to Haiti to seize the eyeballs of Haitian earthquake victims for and some kind of, I believe, incestuous reptilian magic ritual? Relatively boiler, boilerplate reptilian stuff. Yes, exactly. Uh, I was so, going to say, that the real tragedy is that we all know what this means, that we know that any, what any of these words means because we've been exposed to these theories or, or people talking about these things in the, in the context of anti-Semitism that we all know. But I don't know that, that, that we even have to know what reptilian and, you know, uh, Jewish medics going to Haiti, what that means in context is that's the real tragedy. Yeah. So I'm like, I haven't asked any of these people what led to them finding the stuff on Tuesday into Wednesday. Right. Um, it, but like, you know, a bunch of people have been acting like, oh, like, oh, people are doing it now because he has this big, you know, match. And it's like, no, I mean, it, it's the first time he had been on actual American television in like five years. Is yeah, that, right. That's my first question, right? This guy was working in WWE in various, you know, above and behind the camera or in front of and behind the camera roles. So like, how did this 10 year old stuff not come out sooner? Okay, so I think it's twofold. One is that Truth is Scary does not seem to be a particularly popular conspiracy theory channel. Right. Um, if, if he said it on Alex Jones, it might have been a little more 
come up a little sooner. Right. You know, I Googled some, you know, I was Googling after the stuff came out, like, you know, Brian Kendrick reptilian and stuff. And I don't know if he sent it out. Like there were wrestling news sites that linked it and even mentioned that he discusses quote unquote reptilians in it. But in a, you know, in a 2011 context, I'm guessing most of these people didn't watch it. You know, mm-hmm. it didn't set off as many red flags because also a lot less people knew that reptilian was conspiracy theory code for few back then. Right. Yeah. Like now with all the other conspiracy bullshit, you know, it's right now. And now our third eyes are open to that, uh, <laughs> to that reality. <laughs> yeah. So um, where was I? So I think that's just the main thing with, you know, that one. Like I remember seeing like the thumbnail at some point, but I know I never watched it. And I don't remember anyone even, you know, that might've watched it suggesting that it got that extreme. And the other thing, I think it was just that, you know, his, you know, interview DVDs had been selling well and the people who did the, uh, you know, this, the Kendrick theory one with him, I don't think realized that one without any wrestling content probably wouldn't sell. So I'm guessing barely anyone saw it other, you know, the reviewer I'm guessing was just sent a review copy. So I think it's just a combination of that, that just no Mm. one really noticed. And he stopped talking about this stuff as much. And, you know, I should add too, like, it did, it did like you just needed to know the right things to look for and you would find it. And, my, and again, I haven't asked any of these people, but oh, go ahead. Well, I was something we were discussing sort of before we started recording that we're curious to ask you about. Like, you know, this is the second sort of, you know, major company pro wrestling anti Semitism scandal in the last five days. Well, so, no, it's I would say it's about the third in about a month. <laughs> So, so how many, you know, I, I know my experience exposure to wrestling as a fan is that, you know, not a lot of, a lot of wrestlers are, you know, not, they're, they're not really chill people most of the time. So our, my question for you then is how many other people in the industry, you know, believe stuff like this or, or share information like this on what have you truth teller podcast. Like that extreme in terms of like even beyond Alex Jones extreme or or even at the Alex Jones level, like at the Alex Jones ish level, you know, there's been more, especially like the last two years. Right. Um, you know, I could, you know, off the top of my head, you know, some of the more, you know, vocal ones, Austin Aries, Loki, TJ Perkins. Oh, I feel like I'm forgetting some. And you know, is it, is it, is it genuine when those people are espousing those views or is it, is it them playing a character? It's genuine. The distinction I would make is that most of them seem like they're coming from it, from like kind of a own the libs point of view, but believe it. The exception I would say would be Loki, who had been Caval in WWE, who just genuinely seems upset that people are not listening to the great ideas he's discovered with his giant brain. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> like he's, he he doesn't seem to be acting maliciously in any way, where the others seem to to some degree. Right, he's you know, like, he's mainly like vaccines and you know that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and so- we know that that recently I think it was Joey Janela. Um, was you know seen ranting and raving at some local county meeting about vaccine mandates. So this sort of stuff. It's well, it's that was around. a bit. That was a bit, though. Oh, that was a bit. Yes. Oh God, how did I not mention Drake Wirtz? Well, yeah. Listen to my QAnon anonymous Patreon show appearance because <laughs> that would take forever. Mm-hmm. And so, da- David, you mentioned two other recent uh, anti-Semitism scandals in pro wrestling. Can you talk to us a little bit about what those were? Okay. Well, we'll get we'll get the bullshit one out of the way first. Um, Dave Meltzer, the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, you know, wrestling's longest tenured reporter, he made a comment about how with WWE holding their elimination chamber, you know, cage match pay-per-view show 
in Saudi Arabia as part of their deal to do propaganda for the Saudi government. Uh, Dave made a crack in the Observer that, how did he put it? It was something to the effect of what did they decide to hold the elimination chamber there, especially with the name, which is a name that at least on promotional material they do not use in Germany Hmm. because they have concerns it would run afoul of the various, you know, Holocaust guidelines there. Mm. And laws. Well, I'm not sure exactly what the line is with some of that. That's why I said guidelines and not laws. Um, He said something effective. Oh, what? uh, No, I don't think he phrased it that way. It was something like, I I guess there was a COVID outbreak at Auschwitz. Now, Dave is Jewish and had, you know, had Holocaust, I think, survivors and victims. Well, you know what I mean? And I I think people who died in the Holocaust in his family. Like, Mm -hmm. it was very obvious to people who are familiar with him and most people who are not trying to act in bad faith what the point he was making was. Right. Would would I necessarily make that joke? No. But, it, you know, people who were trying to act like he was an anti-Semite were completely full of shit. Um, And eventually it kind of just, you know, faded away. Then, however, a few days later, uh, it comes out that WWE had trademarked the name Gunther Stark for a wrestler. Now, not a particularly well-known Nazi, but at least at the time when they registered the trademark, the top Google hit for the name was a Nazi submarine captain. It just seems amazing that anyone could like come up with a wrestler name and not the first thing they would do would be just like, let's just Google, Google it. Like, you know, let's find out if somebody has the trademark. Let's find out if there's, you know, some assistant director that we're going to piss off, you know, on IMDb because they have the name, whatever it is. And it's just like, it sort of makes me think that they probably did. And then they saw like, ah, well-known, you know, or at least known Nazi Gunther Stark. Like that's an interesting name to play off of. Like, did, did the WWE have any explanation for why that name was chosen in the first place? No, as a general rule, unless they're really worried it's going to affect the stock price or something, like they don't respond <laughs> to reporters about that kind of thing. Fair enough. Um, or, or maybe not fair enough, but I guess it's their playground and they get to do what they want. Yeah. So what everyone suspected was that it was maybe a new name for the wrestler goes by the name of just all caps Walter, uh, real name Walter Hahn, who's a Aust- you know, Austrian wrestler who lived in Germany for many years. And, and, and his a character days. is fairly fascistic, it seems. Yes. Like, it's it's on the line Yeah, at, at, at best, yes. And mm-hmm. then uh, they changed his name to just simply Gunther as if, <laughs> as if that really helped that much, even though we knew they picked a name that if they Googled it, they knew there was a Nazi submarine captain. And if they didn't feels like wondering whether you know, or not they're pulling off the highway them. going into the Klaus Barbie Museum. Yes. That's a deep cut reference for everyone out there who's seen Rat Race recently. So, so uh, David, is your feeling that this is just, you know, is this part of, uh, you know, they're putting on a show and they're sort of going into these caricatures. That's always been a big part of wrestling, you know, the outsized personalities. And is this just sort of them bumping up against the edge of, or, or the edginess of that, I guess, in terms of, you know, getting a fascistic character who ends up embracing an, an actual Nazi's name in their, in their role? With the Walter Gunther thing, honestly, I don't, I, I don't know. Like it's, this is not the first time where they tried to register a trademark for like a name and it seemed like they didn't google it the previous time was when they brought up they brought a bunch of women from their farm system to their main roster and they put them together in different groups and they named one of them submission sorority uh people immediately joked that it sounded like a porn name people googled (laughs) it and found out that yes it was a porn name (laughs) so there there is precedent of them just being sloppy there is uh but gunther stark seems kind of specific in part because I don't feel like if they were just trying to come up with a German name, they would go with Stark. Right. You know, 
um, you know, the wrestlers do have a say in giving alternate name choices. And if they can clear, you know, trademark, you know, and legal and all that, then a lot of the time it is a name the wrestler picked these days. But it's because there is also like there was like a famous German like biochemist named Gunther Stark. Like there's a possibility that, you know, Walter knew of the other Gunther Stark and not the Nazi, I uh. guess. But still, like at least at the time, if you had Googled it, that would be the first. <laughs> yeah, result. like so I'd, that'd be kind of surprising. Just sort of like, yeah, I'm really into Mussolini, as in like the you know Maggie Smith movie Tea with Mussolini. I don't know if it refers to anything. Right, and th- now there was, and I think it was an Instagram post. I have to look it up again to remind myself what it said. But um, one of the wrestlers in his group, where he has some, you know, German wrestlers who he's had past associations with had posted something on Instagram, like, I want to say a week earlier that he eventually deleted that, uh, what was it? Because the, they, they named the group Imperium, and it was something that sounded very kind of evocative of certain Nazi slogans. And I forget what it was. Huh. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it, oh, I forget if it, it was him or the other one, though, had confronted a fan a few years ago for Nazi saluting them. So... I don't know. I don't really know what to make of that. And that said, it was, okay, well, it was before the pandemic. So I guess about three years ago, two and a half, three years ago, WWE did, they were giving kind of a new gimmick to the wrestler, uh, real name Chris Dijak. He used to wrestle as Donovan Dijak. WWE, at least at first, he was uh, Dominic Dijakovic. Now he's T-Bar, mm-hmm. long story. Uh, he's he's Croatian-American, mm-hmm. and he gets this kind of repackaging where he cut this promo that based on the descriptions from people who were there because it was a pre-taped show in orlando it it, he was saying a lot of stuff about like purifying north america and stuff like (laughs) that and like some of the not all of it but some of the imagery like from croatian coat of arms and stuff or that stuff in that kind of visual design that he was using on like his gear and his merchandise that they were getting ready is stuff that is sometimes appropriated by nazis so at the end of the day they edited down the promo to completely get rid of all the offensive stuff or even potentially offensive stuff and they didn't go with it i mean i've always heard that at least in real life he's not like that so i'm assuming it's not his idea but it was very weird so there's been other stuff like that in recent years so it's it's hard to put a finger on just exactly like if you know if you have the lowest possible opinion of them you'll think they're doing all this on purpose i think there's enough reason to believe for the reasons we already talked about that probably some of it is just sloppiness but right that 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 example seems that example sort of sounds like uh here's what we want you to do with the character and then someone just started taking it too far or not knowing exactly mm-hmm. the the basis of what they were saying or or what it meant or the context or yeah. anything like that um i guess uh maybe it would be nice to end on a positive note from a jewish perspective um i, I think most of our listeners who are, who are ra- uh, wrestling fans probably know about uh colt cabana who is who was kind enough to join us uh a few months ago on the podcast and uh mjf as as two of the biggest Jewish wrestlers that are, that are out there right now. Is there anyone else who's sort of coming up or, or people that we might not have heard of uh, Jewish wrestlers who, who we should keep an eye out for or, or take a look at? I would say the most obvious one right now would be uh, Ziggy Hyam, who wrestles. Okay, Ziggy Hyam. 
Yes. That's a great yes. name. Zig- Ziggy Keim is Jewish? I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she wrestles kind of out of like the P- Pittsburgh, Cleveland kind of scene. And uh, she's, you know, kind of like, uh, kind of has kind of a punk image. And uh, of course, her finishing move is the Mazel Tov cocktail. Cool. Oh, wow. Wow. So the fourth, the fourth Heim sister, the wrestling Heim sister. Yes. Oh, is there anyone else I'm missing? Well, there, I mean, I know there's someone who's not wrestling anymore that I won't mention, uh, but that, that she's the one who comes most to mind. I feel like I'm forgetting one or two people, but uh, she, um, she's the obvious one right now. Cool. That's great. I know uh, uh, Colt mentioned to us that Layla Hirsch was Jewish. Um, oh, okay. See, I was thinking indie wrestler. She is. Oh, indie works too. Um, indie, you know, uh, pro anyone you think our, our audience should look out for, but Ziggy yeah, Layla Hyam, Hirsch is great. But yes, Layla Hirsch is very talented and more following as well. Um, yeah, that's I think who the main person I was like, wait, who am I forgetting? So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so as a Layla and Ziggy, I would say would be the two, uh, the two obvious ones to watch at least. Cool. Right? Th- thanks so much for joining us, David. Uh, thanks for taking the time and, and talking to us about some of these, you know, unfortunate but uh, ongoing anti Semitic scandals in, in the world of pro wrestling. Yes, and hopefully, hopefully, uh, hopefully the last one finally, yeah. and hopefully can have me back on soon because we've been, you know, <laughs> miss, having near misses for a while. But do a yeah, we have one. yeah, maybe a, another rundown of, of some Jewish wrestlers in the in the future, or if uh, Layla Hirsch does anything cool soon. Hey, all right, we'll keep following Ziggy. Yes, great. All right, thanks again, Dave. And thanks so much to. David Bixenspan for being on the show. That was a, a, a fascinating, illuminating conversation with a pretty smart and cool guy. Jamie, are you going to watch WrestleMania this weekend? Absolutely not. Um, I have never been a big wrestling fan, but I am also going to uh, the Final Four, so I will not be available to watch it because I oh, will that's be amazing. That, in that, the that, easy. I will be uh, lesaying les bons tons brûlé. my friend. Boy, you really uh, when you go Cajun, it just it just. <laughs> D- destroys the uh it destroys the uh the bandwidth of the microphone i think oh yeah um you know before you we go like punch a train in a man they come right out before we before we go we wanted to give a shout out to one of our sister podcasts uh the cjn daily uh which comes out almost every day uh certainly of the week <laughs> and uh hosted by alan besner she she had a great episode on monday about the introduction of the Israel women's national hockey team. So it, um, it seems that there are more frozen chosen than there were before. I think any any winter Israeli winter sport is the frozen chosen. Doesn't matter what yeah, sport that's they right. are. So, so they participated in their first tournament ever. Um, apparently, there's about 50 women in all of the country that play hockey uh, at any level. And they put a team together. They did not do well. They gave up 21 goals to uh, one scored. So Who's, who's counting? You know, really? Why, yeah. what, what are no, goals worth? An ostentatious start. But as we've talked about elsewhere in this, in this podcast, you know, so many of the uh, national teams for Israel that compete in sports that Israelis don't typically play have had very, you know, challenging starts and uh, not necessarily a lot of success when they're starting out. But part of developing that team is developing a, you know, group of people in the country, kids who want to play, who are interested in the sport. Uh, and that's how the sport grows. So, you know, they gave up 21 goals and scored one. I'm sure that five years from now, if we're talking about the Israel women's hockey team at a tournament, it's going to be better than that. It's not going to be that that same level. So, And we're going to remember this tournament as, oh, you know, five years ago they were here and now they're somewhere else. Like that's this yeah. is this is already a big move. 
you know, when Israel first had a uh, men's baseball team, they weren't doing very much. But uh, now they're a mainstay at European Baseball Championships, and they'll be at the WBC next year. Uh, that was recently announced, and you know, they they made a they made a thing happen. So, uh, shout out to the Israeli women's national hockey team. We wish you luck in your future endeavors, and uh, we're sure to follow you again in the future. Mazel tov for getting it together. Yeah. Until next time, uh, as always, we're produced by Michael Freeman. Uh, you can find our podcast at the CJN.ca, the Canadian Jewish News website, uh, on Facebook at the CJN Lounge and the Canadian Jewish News, and on Twitter at Menschwormers. Uh, we are always looking for feedback about our episodes and tips about who's Jewish or just questions about is so-and-so Jewish. And we really would love you to, to vote on the, on the greatest Jewish athlete of all time. Uh, which you can find also at the cajn.ca slash gadja um, and continue hearing about it in our uh, in our podcast uh, wherever you find your podcasts yeah please like and subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you soon